We are once again in the book of Esther together, Esther chapter 5, verse 9 through 6, verse 14. Uh, You can find that text in the booklet. If you don't have one or forgot yours, there are a few left on the uh, information centers in the just outside the worship center. Otherwise, uh, it'll be up on the screen, or you can grab your book from uh, the Bible from the seat in front of you. As we've been beginning each sermon, we have been asking the question of where are the unusual places where God, uh, where we see God showing up? And this morning, we are watching where God shows up in the downfall of a wicked man. So before we read, let's pray. God, you have been faithful as we have been reflecting and reading the words of Esther, trusting that you are the one who is at work in all of these unique places in ways that reveal your perfect purposes. And we have been asked to trust that just as you were faithful then, You are faithful and present now. And we are challenged again with some of that this morning as we reflect on uh, the verses in front of us. And so may your spirit move in mighty ways that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Haman went out that day happy, this day being when Esther goes into the throne room of the king and requests a banquet with the king and Haman. So Haman goes out happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, He was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she's invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 15 cubits, 75 feet, Ask the king in the morning to go have Mordecai impaled on it and then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up. That night, the king could not sleep. 
And so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. And it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, he asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. And his attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a, a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Now just pause. The only person who wears the royal kingly robes and rides the king's horse and has the king's crest on his head is the king. And so Haman is essentially asking, like the younger son in the parable of the prodigal sons, for the king to die so he can take his place. The height of pride. Verse 9. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. <laughs> Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you, as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. And he told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everywhere what had happened to him. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. And while they were still talking to him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. This is the word of the Lord. So we love watching a rise and fall story. Many of us are aware that LeBron James is just probably one game away from passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time sports points record. And the reality is that most of us liked LeBron James when he went to his hometown and lived in Cleveland and helped them win an NBA championship. We liked that because it, it was a feel-good story. But when he goes to the Heat or the Lakers, everyone cheers against him. 
and hopes he fails. We like a good rise and we like a good fail. In Christian podcasting, the most popular podcast last year was The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Telling the story of the explosion of Mars Hill in the upper northwest and its absolute crash and burn. The docuseries and the documentaries on Netflix and Hulu and Apple TV about WeWork and Lalu, Lula Roe, I don't even know how to say that. Emily Holmes and Theranos, Bernie Madoff. We love watching the story of these people who are scheming the system crash. And there's something in our hearts that rubs our hands together with glee when we hear about Sam Bankman Fried, who is now in jail for stealing billions of dollars through his FTX crypto fraud. We're grateful when the people who are wicked fall. We want to see and live in a world where the wicked are punished. We should be honest about that. And there's something in the book of Esther which invites us to sort of sit in that space for a little while. Because yes, the main character of the story is Esther. We watch as she is plucked from obscurity. She is taken into the king's castle. She is abused and misused and becomes the queen. And she rises and putting her royal robes on, steps into the identity that God has given her and helps to save her people. And from these chapters on, she is very clearly the one who is going to be calling the shots. She is the one who is going to speak and watch as people act. And one of the other characters in this book, Haman, whose name is Wrath, we are set up as an audience to hate. We noted at the end of chapter 2 that Mordecai saves the king's life, tells of the assassination plot, and he is given no reward. And yet in the very next verse, Haman, who has done nothing good, rises to be second in command. And Haman doesn't respond with humility or a blessing of the Persian kingdom, he begins to act on Haman's behalf. And we get a sense of just the kind of character that Haman has at the end of chapter 5 when he goes home and he says to his wife, you wouldn't believe it. This morning I had 20 people in church eating out of the palm of my hand as I was preaching. They all love me. I have four children. They're amazing. Now, if I went home and did that, you can imagine what my wife Steph is going to say. And there's something in the text that sets us up, right? Like Zeresh and all of these advisors, he's not telling them anything they they don't already know. 
And yet this guy is so full of himself, so full of of pride, so unable to see anything. And he's also unable to let the smallest of slights go. He has everything going for him. A wife who adores him and listens to this ridiculous speech. Advisors who stand by his side and tell him what he wants to hear. He's the second in command in the Persian kingdom. He's the only one going to the banquet. He has everything going for him. And yet, because some guy doesn't stand up as he goes into the palace, his life is a shambles. Pause. Way back at the beginning of this series, we noted that Esther is part of the wisdom literature. And Haman is just as much setting up a villain for Esther to defeat as it is to demonstrate for the reader and the listener what life apart from God turns us into. Right, Haman is a caricature. He's so far gone that how could he actually be a real person? But even as we say that, I dare bet if we were invited to share the name of the, peop- the person or the people who slight us and set us off, we wouldn't have to think too hard. There's that person that just grates us. And when we're in the, the fellowship hall after church and we see there by the coffee, like the priest and the temple helper, we cross over to the other side of the street. When we go to the South basketball game, we don't even sit across the bleachers because then we can see them. We make sure we sit on the same side, but farther away. Or maybe it's somebody on social media who just, they write something or they text something or they tweet something or they post something and it's just right under our skin and it feels like this slight and the, what grows in us is this visceral reaction. We can feel our heart beating faster and we can feel our temples getting redder and we can feel our, our sense of self just feeling so slighted by an online post. See, Esther is inviting us to to take a step back and see ourselves for who we truly are. Are we God's people putting our full hope and trust in his presence and working? Or are we like the fool in the story? Or tempted toward that caricature? And I paused in the reading of the text to call out something that isn't so obvious in the English, but but Haman is so, so full of himself that as he is explaining to the king what the king should do, he, he says, make this person 
you and parade them through the city so that instead of people celebrating and bowing down to you, O king, they'll bow down to me. Which, at its heart, is ultimate idolatry, setting oneself up as the one to be worshipped. We're back in. Haman cannot let Mordecai go. Haman cannot let this guy go. And the way the the story is told, chapters 5, 6, and 7, unfold like at the speed of light. Chapters 1 through 4 are slow and plodding. They are over the course of four years or so. And yet these middle chapters go by just like that. And even at the end, as we were closing, 6 verse 14, Haman is complaining to his advisors and families and the advisors and attendants of the king show up and like whisk him away. And we're left with this scene of, hey, like as he's out the door, he doesn't even get the chance to say goodbye to his loved ones. The speed at which his crash and burn is coming. And there's something in our hearts that is just celebratory that Haman is finally getting his just desserts. In Proverbs 17, verse 5, to be exact, we are warned against being glad at the calamity of our enemy. In Proverbs 24, verse 17, we are told not to rejoice when your enemy falls. Jesus, of course, calls us to love our neighbor. And yet in a society of polarization, where we are constantly told to be on one side, and where success is in the humiliation of the other, as Christians we are called toward a different path. Not as Republicans who celebrate the the defeat and the downfall and the embarrassment of our Democrats, or vice versa. As Christians we are called to stand apart. Not to rejoice at that, because it is far easier to critique. It's far easier to point out the ridiculousness of Haman to step back and see the log in our own eye, which might just make us the fool. So how do we see Esther and Mordecai not pursuing this end? What's fascinating to consider that in the book of Esther up until this point, neither Esther nor Haman are really working for their own salvation. They're always about the salvation of their people. And they're always about the salvation of someone else, Mordecai the king, Esther the Jews, Mordecai the Jews at risk of themselves. 
And so the call is not to rejoice in the calamity or the failure of our enemy, but to strive toward the call of justice. To call, to strive for the call where the the enemy or our opposition will get what they deserve, but not from our hands, but from God. And to be part of the system, to be part of the process where others who are at risk of being lost can be brought in, can become part of the family of God, can be delivered and saved. And the second piece, we noted with the kids, sort of playfully noting what we should do when they fight and what we should do when we fight is to be patient that God will work out for those who are victorious in him. In the New Testament, perhaps the most familiar place this shows up is in Romans chapter 8 where we are reminded that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. There is nothing that can separate us. Yes, we see that over and over in the book of Esther where there is nothing, no situation where we are far from God's presence but that he is right there. But we are more than conquerors. We are already victorious in Christ Jesus. And so we do not have to work out our own plan in order that Haman may fall. We see it in Esther that God does it on his own. And so we can be patient. We can be trusting. We can guard our own hearts as those who drive us crazy are against us and allow God to be the one who earns victory for himself and for his people. Let's pray. Lord God, we do love a good rise and fall story, but we are wisely encouraged not to go so far, for we are called to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And that's a difficult thing to do in our polarized society. We feel that tug even as we listen this morning. And so God, give us the humility to see where we are a little bit like Haman. And give us the trust that we are already more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that we can wait for the day where you will return and make all things right and good again. To the glory of your name and to the good of your people. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus. 